Fat Force Radio. Fat Force Radio is rated M for mature. Or should that be immature? Hey guys, Dustin Wynn. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Paul Dini. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. Listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Bat Force Radio as we once again travel beyond the borders of Gotham City and delve further into other comics and other worlds that we love. Uh, joining us this week, we've got Bat Force Tom in California. Hey, hey. And I'm Robin Cross in Canada. This week's guest is an illustrator coming fresh off of The Autumnal, an eight-issue horror series written by Daniel Krauss from Vault Comics and one of my favorite books of the past year. And this week, he gives us the first issue of Boom Studios' House of Slaughter, a massive new series from co-creators James Tynan, Tate Bromble, Werther Deladera, and Mikel Muerto, spinning out of the also massive Something is Killing the Children, which will soon be heading on its way to Netflix. House of Slaughter hits shelves this week, having already headed to second print after retailers have ordered a Brobden Nagian 460,000-plus copies. And with that bonkers number to live up to, we welcome to the show, Chris Sheehan. Hello. Hey. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for taking the time to do it. So first of all, uh, congrats on the release of the big first issue. Uh, by the time we, uh, well, at the time we're recording this issue, the, uh, this episode, the issue comes out tomorrow. Uh, so what is your level of nervous? the the eve of release it's uh all the way up i yeah. <laughs> I, it's um i mean it's always that way i i guess but um especially now this is my first time working on uh something that was already an established property that already has an established fan base and um just knowing a lot of people will be looking at my work and um, being on something that already has fans has me <laughs> extremely nervous. <laughs> what What is it like to step into a project that already has such a massive spotlight? Like, what, aside from the audience that the main comic, you know, the the first series, something's killing the children, had like, there's already the at least possibility that the characters that you're working with right now are going to appear in live action. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I, it's exciting um, and terrifying. I, uh, it's just, it feels like a big leap for me. Um, and I, I, I suppose it's a good thing and it's a, a good leap, but I, uh, I feel like my, uh, my imposter syndrome was not ready for this <laughs> level of a a leap. And so just the thought of even seeing anything that I've worked on or designed in any way um, in live action is really cool and, and uh, uh, terrifying. <laughs> mm. So I want to get to how that came about, but I think the best way to do it, we should start by rewinding. Uh, let's 
go with your origin story. What was your first inspiration to art? Like, I, I'm aware of some things like uh, that you, you weren't really a comic reader before getting into art, like pursuing it uh, professionally. So what was the, that thing that, that made you first want to become an artist? Uh, yeah, it, um, I feel like, I don't know, I, I, I assume all like little kids draw and make art and um, I just didn't stop. And, um, but for me, the, the big thing was storytelling. I always wanted to be a storyteller in some form. And it was before I really had discovered comics and what they could be and everything. And um, so I, I, you know, I loved like animation. I loved, I grew up on Batman, the animated series and X-Men, the animated series and I loved movies. I was always one of those kids that actually could sit still for movies. And uh, I just, I knew I wanted to tell stories. I would create stories in my head. I would draw everything out. Um, as I got older, I I, uh, I made like little films, little, like little movies with like, a, like a, my parents' camera. And then I made like... Uh, like little stop motion movies with a webcam. I just wanted to tell stories in whatever way I could. I, you know, I took creative writing classes and it wasn't really like I knew comics existed and I, I, I liked the idea of them. Um, I made little comics when I was very young, but I never actually like set foot into a comic shop because no one really ever introduced me to actual comics. So it wasn't until like college that I uh, I actually took a, one of my literature classes, one, one of the options for it. They had like American literature, European literature, but one of them was comics and that would count as one of my basics. And Whoa. I was like, oh, that's cool. I'm lazy. I'll take a, <laughs> I'll take a comics uh, literature class. And um, I did. And uh, all of the textbooks were like graphic novels, like Understanding Comics by Scott McCloud and Watchmen and like wow. Identity Crisis and The Dark Knight um, Returns and uh, stuff like that. And I uh, I was kind of blown away because I just, I never really grasped. I loved books and I loved movies and I never fully grasped what comics could be. So I went to my first uh, comic convention and, and that was in uh, 2009. And it was San Diego, um, so it was a big one. Um, and I brought a portfolio, and you know, hoping I could get some feedback. I I thought I was naive enough at the time to think I could get work. I I was not good enough at all, but I um, did. I was able to get feedback that helped me learn, and I could go home and improve and just keep working on that. Um, and one of the best uh, pieces of advice I've gotten was if you want to make comics, just make comics. Um, don't wait to get hired or, or wait for anything. Just start. So instead of, uh, instead of working on a portfolio, um, like more just portfolio pieces, like I was drawing like Spider-Man pages and stuff um, for fun to, for my portfolio. I went and started just making my own stories and making my own pages. And 
that um, helped me a lot. Um, from there, I had gotten, um, this was in 2010, I had gotten to work on a historical comic, a small press, um, historical comic uh, written by a historian um, called El Paso. And it's about um, El Paso, Texas, specifically about a, uh, um, a marshal that had lived there that kind of helped turn the, the city around at the time in like the 1800s. And um, that was my first time working on, a, on something that was to be printed and published um, in some sort of way. And it's a, it was a six issue mini series that I did one issue for, and I barely got that job because uh, because uh, a lot of uh, the other artists that they had on that project had kind of bailed. They took the money and ran. So damn um, yeah. So I I uh, I wasn't as good as everyone on the team at the time, but. Um, they were like, we can't pay you because our last artist took the money Fuck. and ghosted. Um, so they were like, we can give you like $4 a page and comps. And I was like, oh, yeah, I was just happy to do something. Yeah. So I would never tell anyone to accept $4 a page now. But at the time, I was just <laughs> like, yeah, it was my first thing. So I, I very happily did it. I worked really hard on it. And um, and uh I, I'm I'm proud of it. I mean, it, I I don't show it that work to anyone because it's not that great. But it was a big start for me that helped me gain some confidence. And from there, I I thought, okay, now that I've been published and I did a full comic, I can keep trying to do freelance and maybe do it full time. And that was, uh, I think, a mistake. Um, I wasn't in a place where I could do full-time, but I tried really hard and that, that trying really hard exhausted me, uh, took the point of burnout. So, um, I ended up like taking, uh, doing work in like, uh, in sales and marketing. And, um, I did that for five years and, I, I did it fairly successfully that I almost forgot about my dreams to make comics and tell stories. Oh man. And, um, I was, I was 20, 26 when my, um, when my dog had died and, um, not to like bring this down, but it was just kind of, I don't know. It, it snapped me out of everything. It put a lot of things into perspective. I realized I was not actually happy um, doing what I was doing. And I was remembering my original dreams and uh, I quit everything. Um, I moved into and with my mom and I worked really hard on art again and made um, portfolio pages uh um that led to getting some more small press work and one of the the, the ones that I'm proud of to this day is a mini series called Prometheus that I did with writer Ryan Little and uh, you can get that book through Ryan it's it was funded via Kickstarter um 
it, I'm actually still working on it in the background uh, on the final issue slowly. And uh, so we'll, that will actually conclude, but it was a, it was a five, five, six, I can't remember, five to six issue mini series, I think five. And uh, that's something I'm really proud of. And doing that um, helped me get noticed by uh, Vault, which led to the autumnal. How did you how did you get in contact with like Boom and and working on uh, this book? Um, I they reached out to me as I was finishing the last issue of the autumnal. Uh, I suppose they knew I was finishing that up that up, so they were checking on my what I had planned for what I want was going to do next. And um, thankfully, I did not have any plans for the rest of the year. Um, I have some plans for 2022, but I had some open space and they said, we're doing a spinoff of Something is Killing the Children, which I was a fan of at the time. Um, They were like, so, and it's going to focus on the actual like house of slaughter and the school aspect of it. And they told me it's a, there's going to be like, like queer romance in it. So I was, I was really sold on all of that. Um, that, that sounded right up my alley, something horror, something, uh, queer and, uh, and a spinoff of something I was a huge fan of already. So, um, I couldn't say no to that. Uh, I didn't, I, I, I made sure I could do it. Um, I made I checked my schedule thoroughly to make sure I could fit it in. And uh, yeah, so I don't know what what actually led them to reaching out to me. Um, I just I assume it was my work on the autumnal. Um, James Tinian was uh, was a big supporter of the autumnal when it was first coming out, mm. and uh, I think that uh, that might have, I think my name might have been um, given to to Boom by him, but I'm not actually sure. Mm. I guess we should have um, maybe started a little bit uh, the beginning of the episode. I mean, because, you know, obviously Robin and I have, have read uh, and have gotten familiar with um, House of Slaughter and then also uh, Something's Killing the Children. What would be like your normal, like five minute? Here's what I'm working on right now. Yeah. Uh, it helps if you've read Something is Killing the Children. Um, so I would say I generally will tell people it's a spinoff of that. And it revolves around Aaron Slaughter as a teenager, kind of a little bit coming of age, um, showing his past and why he's the way he is um, in something that's killing the children when you first meet him. And uh, but if you have not read something that's killing the children, I'll, I'll typically say that uh, something is killing the children is a story about monsters and an underground secret organization of people that hunts them and house of slaughter is that organization house of slaughter for anyone who has been reading something's killing the children uh, it it involves many characters that we're already familiar with uh, the foremost obviously being aaron but uh, also jessica cecilia and gary are all present in issue one and we do get a brief glimpse of erica who is the protagonist and uh, the hero character from something's killing the children but issue one of House of Slaughter is also the first appearance and introduction of the new character, Jace, who 
clearly plays a significant role not only in the order uh, as we see him transferring over from another chapter, uh, but also clearly plays a significant role in Aaron's uh, young life. Uh, is that, would you say, going to be one of the main focuses of at least the first arc of House of Slaughter? It, it feels like this is really setting up to be an hmm. Aaron and Jace story. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Um, this particular arc is is uh, Aaron and Jace focused, um, not so much on Erica. Erica's kind of a side character, but you will see her, and I, I think that's really fun. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I don't I don't know what they have planned for future arcs, but I assume they'll go through all types of stuff, all the different the different masks and even like history. I don't really know, but uh, this arc is going to be um, Jace and Aaron, both as um, teenagers together and as adults. Yeah, the the end of that first issue really made you go, yeah. (laughs) like wait what one other thing that i think is cool about this story going back and giving us more aaron i i apologize for the spoiler here for anyone who hasn't read something is killing the children but it's it's something that you're going to find you know fairly early on if i remember right in in the series if you go back and, and read the 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 main book uh aaron is dead Yeah, But now we're getting this new story that is going back and giving us his history and showing, you know, everything that took him to the point where we met him in the main series. So it's cool to, uh, because obviously uh, Aaron was a popular character from the little we got of him in Something is Killing the Children. Mm -hmm. So it's very cool that he gets revisited and uh, given this this broader history uh, via the house. Yeah, my... my, uh... My goal is to make everyone mad at James for killing him. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, I, I think a lot of people were already mad. Uh, yeah. Aaron was uh, a very likable character uh, right off the start. And and then I, not to say that this is the only reason people would like him, but uh, I can't remember if we got this information in Something's Killing the Children or not, but we definitely find out... Uh, through house of slaughter that uh aaron is uh either uh gay or bisexual Mm. and uh so that's something that you know i feel like a lot of people could latch on to him if they discover him in house of slaughter and then find out what what he's dead what do you mean he's dead (laughs) yeah so yeah i I think uh, james will already have some of that noise coming his way oh yeah um but um well i can't actually say anything <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> you can't say yeah. it. <laughs> this might be something that we have to cut out yeah i like how you're careful though <laughs> um yeah i i uh think that um there there i'm sure there will be more uh queer characters as well like moving forward um besides aaron and jace because uh, James is pretty good about writing them into his stories in general um, in a great way too. And uh, the, so I, I expect more of that, but I do, I do, uh, 
hurt a little that Aaron is dead. <laughs> and I know that once like readers get to know him even more, they'll be upset about it. Mm. What a, I think that's, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was, I, that's one thing that I really like about this creative team that is involved with house of slaughter. Um, because not only, you know, the, the stuff that James has been doing through this, but it's, I, I think that is the fastest way to have characters of differing sexualities, different sexual orientations to be introduced into comics uh, because you can see the same thing with race in other comics too. Like sometimes uh, white authors won't tackle subjects of race, you know, they don't want to handle particular stories with, you know, maybe a black character or something because they might feel, well, that that's not my story to tell. And mm-hmm. I think that there are a lot of creators that similarly won't think that it's their place to necessarily step into telling stories of characters with different sexual orientations than they have. And, you know, because they don't, that's not their voice and they don't understand what, what those people would have gone through and the lives that they've lived. So they might be hesitant to touch on that unless you're Tom Taylor, who's, you know, just really brave and gets right out there with everything. But that's a really cool thing about this creative team that is lined up for this book. Uh, All you guys handling this uh, can, can handle it, you know? Yeah. um, I, in my opinion, I think that um, like anyone, anyone can write, queer characters anyone can write um black characters but i i feel like you you definitely need uh people of that experience to write like you need black people to write black experiences because i feel like there's a difference um right every we should all be writing and being inclusive with everything but I couldn't write a Black experience. I could write a Black character, but I couldn't write a very specifically Black experience. Um, I can write a queer experience. And I think um, James being, I think, I believe James Tynion is bisexual. I know that um, that Tate Bramble, who's, who's uh, scripting House of Slaughter, is queer, and so am I. And um, I feel like we can actually tell these experiences, but I, I do believe that uh, uh, people, I, I love, I love how Tom Taylor is is um, doing and handling uh, Superman, and um, I think that like all of us should be striving for writing diversity, and if anything, um, especially having like uh, um everything that we write should have sensitivity readers who are actually of the experience that we're writing or any of the stories we're telling so that they can make sure that nothing is being uh, poorly told or being told in any negative light. Um, But yeah, I I think it's great. And um, I was really glad to be asked to work on this story specifically i i'm uh, very excited about it yeah it's awesome to see and it's uh it's great stuff like it's um you know your art i think we were talking before you hopped on your art style lends itself really really well to the 
the themes and the kind of um, look of the story. And, you know, it's uh, the colors, the, the colors really go well with your art as well. And, you know, the, the mood that it kind of sets forth, like once people, I think, flip through it and read it and look at it, it's like, oh yeah, this match is really nice. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah. It's uh, <clears throat> we wouldn't have you on if we didn't like your stuff, to be honest. <laughs> um, if, so, you know, you were kind of reading, uh, you know, you were getting into graphic novels, getting into stuff in college, studying it. Um, it's funny because, like, some people, they really love indie books because um, I think it, it's easier for them to identify with uh, characters who are, like, not superheroes. And uh, a lot yeah. of, you know, life situations are, are found more so in those kind of indie books. And then there's other people who they like the superhero stuff for whatever reason, um, personally, I found myself like as a kid, I loved superhero books because you can kind of see people or, or something or someone doing something that you would love to do, but you can't. So I think that's what I gravitated towards when you were reading comics, what, what kind of characters do you feel like grabbed you? Like in those times when you're reading it in college and your courses, like what kind of books, what kind of characters like really said something to you and kind of still inspire you? And what are the kind of books that you gravitate towards because of that? Um, my, my favorite comic series of all time is Hellboy. Mm. And I, uh, I, I like watching superheroes and movies and cartoons, but I don't read a lot of superhero comics. Um, I do read some, I, I, uh, did, I, there are certain Batman runs that I really like, but in general, I, I, I tend to gravitate towards, um, like, uh, I don't know how to explain it. I, I, I guess it's uh, kind of like lone wolf and cub style characters, like the the single, the the one the, the lone guy, you know, wandering the world, finding his place. And uh, I think Hellboy is that, you know, big time. I really love that. I I feel like. Um, He's a really brilliant character and you could just, you could do anything with him. Mm -hmm. And Mike Mignola has done like almost everything with him. And uh, I think that's so great. And and one of my like big dreams is to create a character like that, that I can just draw for the rest of my life and be Mm -hmm. happy. He, he, it's clear that he doesn't get bored of drawing Hellboy. He doesn't get tired of it. Um, That's what I want. Something like that, that I can Mm -hmm. just, hold on to and tell every possible story I want through the lens of this, this, like, um, this character that's, it's, you know, kind of just a sad, sad boy wondering the universe. <laughs> yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's funny you mentioned Hellboy cause, um, you know, artists like Mike Vignola, I feel like, um, the art becomes like a character itself and, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of style of art, it's, it's almost like, uh, it brings so much more to life to the story because like that's this kind of stuff if you didn't even read the words mm-hmm. you know you could just stare at the art all day long and flip through the the pages and be like wow yeah uh, and obviously it makes kind of sense as as an artist that that would probably you know grab you um what is uh and like you mentioned like he's pretty much created his own little universe that he can do whatever he wants mm-hmm. with hellboy um what are some other examples of maybe like art that has grabbed you? Like the first time you opened up the book and you're like, Oh my God, I want to do that. Or this, that's exactly what I want to do. Um, 
I feel like the biggest one is uh, is Mignola for sure. Like mm-hmm. anything he does, because um, I I feel the same way about like uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula that he mm-hmm. did. But um, outside of comics, there's a lot as well. Uh, I see uh, artists like Yoji Shinkawa. Um, if I'm saying that right, he he did the uh, like all of the concept art for Metal Gear Solid games. Oh yeah. And um, I like ever since I saw that, I I I wanted not necessarily to do concept art for video games, but to create an like a character that I can draw in all these beautiful ways and and uh, tell stories with and. Um, between like, Yoji Shinkawa and Hideo Kojima, who made Metal Gear Solid, I, I think that's that's brilliant. And I just that art I gravitate to big time. Um, Ralph McQuarrie, who did the the like early Star Wars concept art, mm-hmm. um, I could stare at it all day. And I just I that's like part of me just wants to paint these big, elaborate, beautiful like sci-fi fantasy scenes and that that you know his work like would tell you a narrative if you look at his work you don't like necessarily need to know the story you get a grasp of a narrative from his work and uh I really love that so I find a lot of inspiration everywhere um even just like people who are not necessarily artists in that sense like um filmmakers like Ridley Scott who actually is an artist I think Ridley Scott does great work in storytelling, um, but also he actually is a great artist. I've seen his like storyboard work; it's it's outstanding. Um, uh, to go back into comics, people like Jock are great. Yeah, like I, Jock Jock could make all these great comics forever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I find influence all over the place. I I try not to just look at comics. I've I've always loved movies, so I look at like directors and storyboard artists, and I I know some like uh, I think uh, Gabriel Hardman like does like storyboards, but also comics, and people like dip in and out of this industry because they just have a love for stories, and I I gravitate towards creators and artists like that. Yeah. Yeah, Jock's uh, Jock's a great example of that because uh, you know he did, he's sure he's done a lot of comics and you know he's still working on one right now, uh, but he's also done a lot of things like he's done movie concept art for like you know the recent Star Wars movies. Yeah, he's done all of these movie posters and everything. And uh, we had we had Jock on uh, a couple months ago on the show, and you know he's sitting in his studio while while we're recording, and he's just surrounded by all this great stuff. Yeah, yeah. So that's a that's like a goal for me is to just kind of be in that in that place where I can kind of dip in and out of different things that I love um, and work on them in, in a creative aspect. Like to work on Star Wars would be amazing in any in any way. Yeah. Um, I would be like smiling every single day, and um, and I, I just I just any any uh, it's it's very clear when there's artists who love telling a story in some form or another and i i i love that type of work we uh when we talked to jock he told us how and i didn't mean i had no idea but um when he was doing the do you remember which which movie it was robin was it the first one of the new trilogy that he was that he was on 
I um, think so. If uh, if because if we think about the time, it was when uh, they were supposed to have been starting the uh, the second uh, witches story, and they had to oh, put wow. that off because so he got off of the job. Okay, yeah. So, so he it was must telling have been us the first. They set him up in an in a, they set him up in a studio at Pinewood Studios. And he said, like, he walked out of his studio and then and there was like a hangar next door. And that's where like the set for the Millennium Falcon was. Yeah. Like to go to to go to the bathroom, he had to walk past the Millennium Falcon. No. That's a trip. Yeah. Ah. So, so he, he and this was back when like and he had, you know, you had to sign all these NDAs. So he's looking at this stuff every day going to work and seeing all of the sets built. He's seeing like wardrobe people walking around. They're giving him concepts to draw out like pieces of wardrobe and, and concept art for characters. And he's just sitting here like, Oh my God, it's that's yeah. So like you mentioned that, like <laughs> the way he describes it is he has to sit there and keep his mouth shut about the most amazing things like that he could think life. of as a, yeah <laughs> and so he said it was almost like torture like you know yeah. you can't you can't tell anybody about the things you're seeing and right. yet you're seeing it every day so i would be, and, and, i would be crying and smiling every single day yeah and, and it's crazy that comics lead some of these people down these roads uh yeah. remember when we had adam hughes on he was telling us about he got to work on was it uh infinity war or civil war i feel like it was infinity war he just got called in, you know, and I think he was there to, you know, to just make stuff, you know, like yeah. just, you know, they, they needed to create things for, for on the set and stuff like that. But he was just watching them shoot all these scenes and, and that you know, comes, that came from his comic work, just being so iconic and so well-known and so influential. Yeah. That's, that's so cool. Yeah. And I, I love comics and I love how, um, a lot of us just love telling stories and being a part of stories. Visually, what would you say is like your favorite Star Wars, like either movie or like, do you have a specific trilogy that you like the most or a specific movie that for you as a visual guy, it's like, oh, that's the one that's my favorite. Rogue One. Easy. Oh, um, really? Wow. Yeah, I think visually it's the best movie. Yeah, it, I mean, I remember... Oh, man, watching like the trailers and seeing like just the HD footage of stormtroopers in like <laughs> on a beach. Yeah. Like well, I remember like, whoa, what? Or seeing the I remember one of the first teaser trailers seeing are they I forget what they're called, like the stealth the death, troopers, the death, death trooper. troopers out yeah, on the field just standing there with fire behind them. Wow. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I, yeah. I uh, that. I, I think because the director was a cinematographer, that's why the movie movie to me is so beautiful. And um, I know that uh, Duncan Fegretto, who's a Hellboy artist, actually did storyboards for that movie. Wow. There you go. So that's even more reason why you probably love it. Yeah. <laughs> was was that one of the ones where um, they like, they altered a lot of story, like they added things in or they, I don't know if that's true or not, but I, I remember seeing or reading somewhere where, um, they added a lot more like family story background to, um, you know, her dad des- designing the Death Star and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I well, I know that they um, did a lot of reshoots and edits. So a lot of the stuff you see in the trailer ended up not even being in the movie. Okay. Um, so I'm not sure what the original vision was or if they had to change it for any sort of reason. 
or if they improved upon it. I'm not actually sure. Mm. That being said, I mean, even if they did cut and paste and a bunch of other stuff, like people, you know, they have their opinions one way or the other, but I love Rogue One. Mm-hmm. And I think like, you knowing that I'm like, wow, well, like in my opinion, even if they had to do all that stuff, it's still kind of, I I enjoyed it. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, I think the story's great. Um, I think it's nice to kind of get away from the Jedi in a way, but still have like the force be a part of the storytelling in another yeah. aspect. And uh, the music is is beautiful. The 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 connecting tissue between Rogue One and the New Hope at the end is oh amazing to me. I yeah. like I, I light up every time. Yeah, I'm just remembering now all the Vader stuff in that movie. Yeah, that scene. And that's my favorite thing about the movie is I think it's brilliant that they took this. Okay, there's this event that we know happened from, you know, the movie 30 whatever years ago. But we've never told this story. Let's expand it and tell that story and show how this happened. Yeah, and and the whole story was just the scrolling text. And then they... Mm. They took that little snippet of the scrolling text in A New Hope and made an entire movie. And they made the most brutal Vader scene of all time. Oh my God. Yeah. I love that. So brutal. But then did it's, it's arguable. Did, did Luke equal that scene in the Mandalorian? It, it felt like they tried to at least like do the mirror of. Yeah. Yeah, I felt that too. I thought so. I loved, I loved when, when Luke showed up in the Mandalorian. I was, <laughs> I was crying. Yeah, I, I was, I, I was, just, I was just gonna say, like, I, I don't cry watching many things, but that, like, the, the way they built up to it, and then seeing, like, holy fuck, yeah. that's Luke. <laughs> I, yeah. As soon as they were like, oh, lone X-wing, I was like, oh, no way, no. Yeah, yeah I, I, <laughs> I was so happy that it didn't get it spoiled for me. I was yeah, amazed. Me too. I don't know how I didn't get it spoiled for me. Yeah. And I stay off the internet for that stuff. I, I, and I think they did a good job of keeping that quiet because I don't remember seeing anything like up until that week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And I remember thinking like, no, no way. No. Like I, you know, the lone X swings, like it's just, a, there's no fucking way. Yeah. And you're standing and you're like, Oh my God, they did. Yeah. Then you see the, you see his belt and then you see the green lightsaber yeah. and you're like, yeah. no, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. I don't, and I, and it makes uh, you think like, what the fuck are they going to do now? How are they going to make this work? Yeah. The the first part we, we didn't even touch on the first part that makes you think that, Oh, this is someone serious is Grogu's reaction. When the ship starts getting close, like he mm-hmm. feels something. Mm. Yeah. So, Whoa. Why? Was is it is it Ahsoka? No, it can't be Ahsoka. Yeah. Oh, I was with my partner watching it, and I was like, I was like, they can't, it can't be Luke, but but it has to be. Like, (laughs) I I was like, how how are they going to do this? And as soon as as soon as we saw him, like with the hood and everything, I was like, oh no. (laughs) And because I think that worked because it was. I think that was the first time that we knew for sure exactly where in the timeline this was happening. Mm-hmm. Like there was well, a lot they, of speculation. Yeah, they 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 kind of mention like five four, years, yeah, five, four, years five years after return, um, after the fall of the empire. So I I I kind of I placed it um, after you know Vader's death and after the Death Star. 
Um, but seeing Return of the Jedi, Luke, like definitely solidified that. Where, what are your uh, theories on like what happens to Grogu? I don't, I don't want to think about it. I, because I, I, mean, I thought, I'm like, well, why don't we never ever see him in the future? What happens? I don't want to yeah. think, yeah, it, I mean, I, yeah, you're right. I don't want to think about it because, yeah, god damn it. My hope is that he goes back with Mando and they're just, going around doing their thing yeah and, and that and that he was not at luke's uh jedi school yeah yeah that's that's yeah i i yeah, try not to yeah. think about that yeah okay uh we talked about you know we've we've done a a lot of house of slaughter stuff and we touched on what maybe got uh Boom's attention uh, on you for the series, but I do want to talk about the autumnal. Uh, as I said at the top, it, it is one of my favorite books of the past year, and I think it's something that too many people have not read yet. Uh, so I, I want to ask, do you think that your experience doing that book uh, helped prepare you for what you're doing on, on House of Slaughter? It definitely did. And I still don't feel fully prepared because I'm still pretty new to comics um getting a grasp on monthly deadlines has been a struggle but I definitely think um because the autumnal took me a year and it's the biggest thing I ever did so I I am more prepared than I ever would have been without it um it helped me a lot with like very character driven storytelling and emotional like storytelling horror all of that um the house of slaughter was like a perfect next project for me yeah so uh i was before we got on i was telling tom about uh uh, about the autumnal uh and i don't know if i've come up with a good way to explain it to people uh what the story is what how do how would you uh pitch someone the story because people who are listening right now should absolutely check out the autumnal and maybe you can put into better words why um i usually tell people that it's a um the autumnal is about a a small seemingly nice town with a dark secret and it follows a mother and daughter who move there um and there's a history of missing children something that's something in the woods that might be responsible and the mother and daughter who are new there slowly uncover everything so i think what i told tom before uh before we started talking to you was i think i said take uh, the blair witch project and just eliminate the whole aspect of the kids with the video cameras and just take the lore that exists of this entity that is responsible for these things that have been happening over the years. Yeah. Might be a witch, might be a monster, might be nothing. And the, the, the the other uh, question I wanted to ask about the autumnal is, is there any chance of returning to the world of Clementine Biddle? Um, I think that there is potential. Um, We have talked about it. 
um, we did very subtly establish that it's kind of in the same universe as the plot from from Vault Comics also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you did um, some covers for the plot. That's mm-hmm. um, Michael Morisi's book, uh, if anyone hasn't checked that out. Yeah, Michael Morrissey and, and uh, Tim Daniel, Josh Hickson. Um, I love that book so much. And uh, I was able to do some covers for it, which allowed me to do some crossover. So if you actually look closely in uh, the plot, there are actually characters that are wearing Comfort Not shirts at one point. Uh-huh. And I actually put um, a Cape Augusta shirt in um, the autumnal trying to establish that they do kind of exist in the same universe. So something in that universe, whether it involves Clementine Biddle or not, is totally possible. Um, uh, So I don't, I don't see why not. And I'd love to do it. So I'm sure. And I know that that Daniel Krause would as well. So it's just a matter of when. As soon as you said comfort notch, I just thought comfort crotch. And if anyone has read the autumnal, he'll understand why. <laughs> I think that's what I prefer to call it now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I just wanted to touch on this quick since we were talking about Michael Morisi and his things. Uh, have you read any of uh, Barbaric? Yes. Yeah, that's so good. That's if awesome. Any, yeah, if anyone, it's, it's only three issues in right now. I think there's going to be more, but yes, uh, it's at is. least on hiatus. But uh so imagine uh, a barbarian who is basically cursed to roam the world and he ha- he is compelled and forced to do good at any given opportunity. That's his curse. He has to help anyone who needs his help. And he has a sentient axe that has a wicked thirst for blood and is you know, a wise ass and very uh, violent. But the more people that they kill or whatever beings that they have to fight, you know, he, he, he wants their blood and, you know, that's what he gets for, for killing them as he drinks their blood, but he gets drunk and increasingly more violent and more drunk, the more people that they kill, but it's just a really fun book. Yeah. I love it. Um. Do we, uh, Tom, are you ready to maybe hit Chris with a lightning round? We can do that, yeah. Cool. So a lightning round is uh, just a little thing that we like to do. We're going to ask you a series of admittedly dumb questions, and it's just to help people people get to know you a little bit more. Okay. Um, Let's do a Halloween edition. So what is your favorite Halloween candy? Um, the Reese's that are shaped like little pumpkins. Oh, okay. I'm just glad you didn't say candy corn. Reese's oh. that are shaped like little pumpkins that have those? Yeah, little uh, jack-o'-lantern Reese's. I don't think I've ever seen those. I'm going to come in some of those. All right. Um, I just realized, Robin, we completely forgot to ask Kelly Jones the the, the question that was left for him. Shit. That was, right. that was uh, Cliff Chang's question, right? Yeah, we can save that one for uh, Chris then. Yeah. Do you remember what Cliff's question was? Yeah, I do. You want okay, to ask I'm me? A dumb, to ask I'm now? a dumbass, and I forgot. Yeah, you can fire. Okay. And uh, well, let's let's warn Chris now. So a thing that we that we like to do. I guess we forgot to do it with Kelly this last time he was on. We allow the guests the opportunity to leave a question for the next guest. So if uh, you want to, you know, just in the back of your mind, you know, maybe come up with something, and uh, 
you can throw that out after if you come up with anything. Okay. Yeah. So Cliff Chang asked, um, when we asked what he would like to ask the next guest, he asked, if you were not an artist right now, what would you be doing? Uh, I would be working at a bookstore. <laughs> so st- still close to still close to something that you love? Yeah, definitely. I, I love stories, whether I can draw or not. So I might be a writer, but for sure, I would just be around stories in some way. And I, I'd say video store if those were still a thing. Mm. Okay. We, uh, we asked you the uh, Star Wars question, but um, if you could only take one Star Wars character as your favorite, who would that be? Probably Princess Leia. Interesting. Okay. What would you say about Princess Leia that uh, you love the most? I think from the get-go, uh, she was written as a much stronger character than um, most uh, films we're used to. You you know, it kind of uh, flips flips it on its head where you it starts off, oh, it's like, oh, a, a princess that needs rescuing. That's very typical. But then they get there and she's the entire time dragging these two men that are like, quote unquote, rescuing her and leading the way. And I, I love that about her yeah. and um, her evolution to becoming General Leia is amazing. I love Carrie Fisher as a person. Um, and uh, so just everything about her, 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 all of her looks, all of her roles, um, all of Princess Leia's roles throughout the, the uh, universe, throughout the Star Wars timeline, um, being just always like, strong and um vocal and um (laughs) mean and uh i just i think she's great Mm. yeah definitely strong character for sure um if oh so if you had to choose between a new york style deep or i'm sorry new york style thin crust versus chicago style deep dish what would you go Mm -hmm. I think a New York style only because that's a tough choice because I've had deep dish that was very bad, but obviously it wasn't Chicago style. And I've had Chicago style deep dish, which is amazing. Um, I think it depends on how hungry I am. If I'm like not going to do anything for the rest of the day, Chicago style if I am just having lunch, like a slice of New York style pizza. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, there's, uh, we were talking to some of the last guests, but they're doing all sorts of gimmicks these days with uh, pizza. And uh, <laughs> that, that one was terrible. We got to tell. So there's this, there's this one place. Where are they? Are they in New York? Yeah, I think they're in Brooklyn. Yeah. So there's this place they're they're showing off this like double decker pizza. So they make a pizza. And then they make another pizza on top of it. And it's just, it, it just feels like a complete gimmick. And yeah, why? Like, what's, what's the point? Yeah. It's just, it sounds like such a mess. Yeah. If you wanted that, you could just fold your pizza in half. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and what's even weirder is that they do like a barbecue chicken on the bottom and then they'll do like a pepperoni on the top. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know. I don't understand yeah. it. These kids yeah. these days. Mm-hmm. These yeah, kids. I don't know. I'd probably try it, but it wouldn't be like a favorite. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
Um, if you could pick one director, you can only watch movies from this director for, for the rest of your life. Which director would, would it be? Probably, I don't know, people probably bully me about this, but probably Christopher Nolan. <laughs> Not here, sir. I don't think we'll bully you. <laughs> I, I just, I, uh, I don't know. I, I just think um, his movies are like big scale and fun and I could watch the Batman trilogy over and over and um, Interstellar is one of my favorite movies of all time. Mm-hmm. So if I had to choose only one, I would definitely say Christopher Nolan. Yeah, we've um, we've gotten a bad rap ourselves. People have mislabeled us as uh, Chris Nolan haters. That's not true. Uh, <laughs> we love Chris Nolan, and because we love him so much, we dive deep into the Batman uh, trilogy, the Dark Knight trilogy. Yeah, um, it's funny because, like, I don't know, you know, Robin might be similar. Um, and, you know, you probably have an opinion on this yourself, but uh, Chris, like, even though we love Batman, even though I love Batman, I wouldn't say that the Batman movies are my favorite Chris Nolan movies. I would have to say currently, and this changes, Interstellar is probably my favorite Chris Nolan movie. Yeah, me too. I love yeah. space movies in general, and I like the whole space opera feel of it. It feels like there's a lot of, like, homage to 2001, A Space Odyssey, yes. and... Yeah. Um, I love how they kind of pioneered the the technology that actually helped us discover what black holes look like mm-hmm. because Christopher Nolan is just, he's like that. He has to get everything as real as possible before throwing like some fantastical element into it. And um, so I, I uh, that's definitely one of my favorites. Shout out to uh, Hans Zimmern too. Hans yeah, Zimmern. Always. Yeah. Hans Zimmer. I listen to Hans Zimmer music while I work. Nice. Um, that guy's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny what you pointed out there about um, just because you're a Batman fan, the Bat- Chris Nolan's Batman movies, not just automatically being your favorite Chris Nolan movies. It's similar to what we talked about earlier that just because we're Batman fans, Batman isn't our favorite James Tynan comic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I could even go further than that. Like just because I like Batman, the Batman games aren't my favorite video games. That's the last of us games. Right. Yeah. 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 I think, um, yeah. And I I think that's what, like, I mean, he does, you know, you, you can, you can make the argument that like they're the best Batman movies or whatever, but I mean, the guy is just, just, I love, he just has, he just has a way of telling a story that, um, you know, people love. And so you love it. We love it. It's good stuff. Yeah, um, definitely. The interstellar thing too, like there's so many layers of it. Like I feel like I keep, wa- every time I watch that movie, I learned something more about it. And uh, when I first saw it, I was, I was very intrigued by like the, the, the ending of it where he's traveling through the different crosshatches of like time and space and his daughter's life. And at first I'm like, what does this mean? And it like, I've been reading a lot lately outside of, uh, you know, outside of comics and, and books and stuff. And I'm like learning, oh my God, that makes so much more sense now. So it's awesome when like, when you go somewhere else and read other things or consume other media and that informs, you know, a piece of art that someone already did to mm-hmm. where it makes it click even later. You're like, oh my God. So, you know, I'm reading, it's funny. I'm reading this book about like UFOs and Bigfoot, right? 
And that made me understand Interstellar even better. You know, yeah. what he's doing at the end of the movie. And I'm like, oh my God, that makes yeah. so much more sense now. Check, uh, check out... Um, uh, uh, God, what's his name? Uh, he's got a mustache. Bill Nye, Bill Nye the science guy. <laughs> not, not that one. <laughs> oh, the other one. Mm. He's got a mustache. Uh, he's got silly ties. No, Neil not deGrasse Neil, Tyson. Not Neil deGrasse Tyson. No, no the the Steve the, Jobs. No. <laughs> no. Is um, he on TV? He was on TV. He's dead now. Oh, science guy Edgar Mitchell. Carl Sagan. Oh, oh Carl yeah. Sagan. Okay. Carl. Carl Sagan. Oh yeah, Cosmos. Yes, I can. I don't know why I couldn't think of it. Carl Sagan did a great um, explanation of a fourth dimensional object which we can't perceive and it's the tesseract and that was what matthew mcconaughey was like traveling through at the end of interstellar yeah and um carl sagan does a great explanation of what that is and how it's kind of a the three-dimensional representation of a fourth dimensional object that we can't perceive and um that's they that's what they based it on is the is the whole th- theory of what a tesseract is which is a, basically a a cube but in a higher like a cube in three dimensions has length width and height and but a tesseract has length width height in a fourth dimension and that's why it like collapses in on itself in the way that you see in the movie in kind of a kaleidoscope way um it's it's trippy but um, Carl Sagan has a great uh, explanation of that, which helps you also appreciate the movie even more. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it it was uh, that concept that that he talks about. It like it's peppered into a lot of other things that I was reading, and um, what I love about it is like they kind of explain it. They try to try to explain in the movie like the the constant is love, so that's what allows you to travel mm-hmm. through space and time because it's the one thing that exists beyond space and beyond time so it's like that's the equation that you can use and um yeah so like the stuff that i'm reading outside of it it's like oh my god like so basically (laughs) like these books i'm reading believe that if you meditate and if you astrally project yourself you can experience existence beyond time and space and if you want to become like a part of consciousness to experience moments in your life that are re, you know they're you're reliving them and feeling like you're really there which is kind of what he's doing in, in the movie and and i didn't really get the whole concept of that before and after reading his stuff it's like oh my god this is amazing yeah so it's yeah, like just, a mixture of like science and like metaphysical I love it, man. stuff and i like the i do like a good mixture of fantasy which is what star wars is sci-fi yeah you know, when, and when you're a kid watching star wars you're not you're never i never understood that like man george lucas was like totally into like this stuff you know mm-hmm. and he's writing it in the space opera mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah we went off on a tangent what was what, what was even that question we tangent the shit out of episodes <laughs> all the time <laughs> the, though so the... anyone listening knows that was coming <laughs> <laughs> yeah the the director i could watch um, yeah. oh <laughs> yeah nolan chris nolan anyway so before we put you on the spot to ask you for a question for the next guest uh so let's assume Kate, okay, you 
you're wrapping up your run on house of slaughter you know whether it's you know a year from now two years whatever and you can your your next comic project can be anything you want what would you want it to be uh, well i have a i have a story that i'd like to pitch that i could write and draw myself nice so that's a that's a goal that's a plan for the future mm. i don't know how soon but if i could do anything that would be the thing mm. cool yeah that that's a that's a an interesting choice that your selection is your own vision you know something that you've got planned yourself because so many people that we speak to say uh oh it, i i want to do a, a a batman book with mm. uh you know with frank miller writing it or what have yeah. you Oh yeah, I mean, um, something cool like like Batman would be awesome. But in my perfect world, I would just be able to write the thing I want to write and draw what I want to draw and mm-hmm. um, tell my own big epic story um, with no constraints. <laughs> Let's say if you had that opportunity, okay, you're going to get to write and draw your own story, but first. Before you get to that, you got to pick this one project, and that is you have you have to do concept art for a movie. Would it be what would it be? Well, probably Star Wars. Star Wars. <laughs> you just get to see all this, just like Jock, right? Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So I have the Millennium Falcon next door. Yeah, I'm on a job where the Millennium Falcon is beside the bathroom. Yeah. Have you have you gone and checked out any of the the Disney parks uh, with no. the new? No, yeah. I was gonna go before COVID, and oh, um, so that kind of threw a wrench in it. But I'd love to go sometime after I finish House of Slaughter. Yeah, it's, it's on the list. Yeah, it's. I've been to the one in California, and it's pretty surreal standing inside of uh the cargo bay of yeah. uh, the millennium falcon and it's it's imagine. weird it's awesome and weird yeah but okay robin what was that uh what's the like the final lightning round question mm, well i guess uh the last one we can throw is uh well you sort of touched on this earlier and uh, it made me actually think of the lightning round when you mentioned it what was the best advice you've ever been given, whether it's personally or professionally, what was the best advice you've ever been given and who gave it to you? I think, I think the best advice I've ever been given just in general is uh, don't miss anything. And it, that you could you could dive in and find your own meaning in that because I know it could mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people but I just I take it as um do the do the things you want to do because like we're we have this one life as far as we're aware um and you know don't don't miss the things you know don't don't let a job or um whatever stop you from doing a thing that will make you happy just because you know why why be why be unhappy if you can help it i just i don't know so 
that that would be it is don't miss anything and um i know it's it's vague but i think that if you find your own meaning in that that's what's special about it and it was actually my dad who gave me that advice mm. good awesome and have you come up with uh, anything you would like to leave for i don't know do we even know who the next guest is right now at this point uh what's uh, we haven't scheduled anything so solidly yet. I've actually been uh, talking with uh, Ross from Boom, and we're trying to set up a time for him to come on and talk about Boom stuff. But uh, cool. I'm not sure how soon that'll happen. So, you know, the, the question can be just for anyone. You know, just okay. Yeah, my question would be: alien or aliens? Ooh. Oh, interesting. That reminds me, do you guys watch uh, the movies that made us on Netflix? They just came out with, wasn't it the horror, the 90s? What is it, horror movies? Yeah, yeah. the the new season that just came out is uh, Aliens is one of them. Not Alien, oh. but Aliens. Uh, they also do uh, Friday the 13th, Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street. And then because it totally fits in with the four of those, Coming to America. That's <laughs> <laughs> funny. That's funny yeah awesome well so yeah we will pass that along to whoever we have on next that'll be a fun one awesome for sure and so we will let chris get out of here now get back to life we really appreciate you taking the time to do this by the time you're hearing this episode house of slaughter number one is already in stores get off your ass and go pick it up and while you're there tell them to give you a copy of the autumnal trade paperback Mm. Uh, so that that's a funny thing. Uh, if anyone wasn't following this, you guys had a, a funny thing with the Amazon not allowing Vault to. I, if I'm if I understood it right, they weren't letting Vault sort of purchase promotion yes. for uh, for the autumnal because they felt the the cover art of the trade was too graphic. Yeah, and we we were allowed to sell it on Amazon, but it was a uh... It was an issue with um, promoting it with them and having it like marketing it through Amazon and, and promoting it through Amazon um, was a difficulty. So that right there should tell you that, that you want to go pick it up. You know, th- this is the <laughs> book that Amazon doesn't want you to buy. Yeah. Go to hell, Jeff Bezos. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, well, again, okay. thanks so much, Chris. House of Slaughter is out now. The Autumnal is out go pick them up and thank you Chris for being here thanks so much thank you so much for having me our pleasure